This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. 
It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Is at the Helm, from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Michael Savage Radio Bonus Podcast. On today's bonus podcast, you'll hear another incredible radio broadcast from yesteryear by popular request. Thank you so much and keep on listening. So enjoy this golden oldie from 2007. Any topic is a fair game here. Halliburton, Savage Definition. Okay, Columbus, Ohio, Fatty. Fatty, welcome to the Savage Nation. Yeah, Michael. Um, I haven't read your book, so forgive me if, you're, if you've addressed this already, but how do you define culture and, more specifically, American culture? It seems like it changes, right. I mean, pretty much every few years or so. No, no, it actually doesn't. The people change, but the culture doesn't change. That's the whole. You see, this is the problem that most people are having. They think that multiculturalism should change America. It should not change America. The core values of American culture are set in stone. The people change, the race, the racial makeup changes. But in the old days, they would assimilate to the American culture. Now, what is the American culture? I have defined this. The American culture, when I say borders, you know what that is. When I say language, you know what that means, English only. When I say culture, many of you have been hoodwinked into believing that we're a multicultural nation, which we are not. We are a nation of many races and many cultures. That is true. It has been true from the beginning. But in the past, people would come over and become Americans. Now they come over and they want you to become them. They want you to speak Spanish. They want you to act Muslim. They want you to give up going to the church and going to a mosque. Uh, this is not going to go on in this country much longer. We're going to have a revolution in this country if this keeps up. These people are pushing the wrong people around. Just watch extreme fighting and you'll see what the, what the white male is capable of. That's all I can say to you. Just understand why extreme fighting is becoming popular in this country. Because the rage has reached a boil. If they keep pushing us around, and if we keep having these schmucks running for office, catering to the multicultural um, people who are destroying the culture of this country, there will be a revolution in this country. Guaranteed. The people, the white male in particular, let me talk specifically, the white male in particular, the one without connections. Early 50s, I remember my sister used to play the upright piano. We had a little apartment, one, what was it, one bedroom. How many of us slept in the one bedroom? Mom and dad were in one bed. I was in a bed. Sister was in a bed. 
brother was in the crib, grandmother was in the small, teeny little so-called living room, and uh, they had a piano and there was music in the house. It was civilization. I, I, I doubt very much that all immigrants are the same. I kind of doubt that all cultures are the same. I kind of doubt that all people will uh, produce the America that we uh, wish. That That's kind of what I'm talking about. We know that. Nobody spoke, uh, uh, nobody told us to speak anything but English in the house. Now, my grandmother didn't speak English. She didn't know it. But we were told never to speak a foreign language in that house. We were taught that you had to speak English. Now, compare that with the immigrants who come here and spit on our language, wave their flag at sporting events, and tell us that we owe them. Can you imagine this? Uh, what's the point of complaining? Savage. Let me go back for a moment, if I may, to the Savage Nation, because it's important that we begin at the beginning of my political trilogy. Yes, you know that I was right when I said I'm trying to save America from the liberal assault on our borders, on our language, and on our culture. Press one for English. Now, why should you have to press one for English? This language is our language. It's the glue that holds a nation together. Yet the immigration mobs have now tried to usurp not only our nationality and our national pride and national identity, but our language itself. And with the help of these spineless, quizzling politicians who have pandered to the Hispanic mobs, we are losing America. And as I said to you, if you're tired of being attacked in school whenever you celebrate the achievements of America, if you're weary of being trampled on whenever you speak in favor of morality, if as a Boy Scout you become a pariah while the perverts have become the victims, Michael Savage is the right place to go. When it comes to our culture, we're being told by liberals to let the illegal invaders, as well as the legal newcomers, to redefine and reshape our culture into their image. That's how far it's gone. And that's why I said, wake up, America. Our borders, language, and culture are being threatened. And it's up to us as principled, patriotic citizens to defend and protect the freedoms we cherish. I said, if the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, Savage. He who fears the Lord understands that it is the beginning of wisdom because he who fears nobody, he who fears no man and no higher being is the most dangerous amongst us, as you well know. You know that I get in these moods every once in a while. So I flipped open the, the Bible and I read some Proverbs. Now, hold on. Don't turn the station off so fast. I was reading it during the break to the guys and they started to laugh. And they said to me, how come you're reading this all of a sudden? The Proverbs, Savage. I said, well... If you're a sinner like me reading the Bible, I know there's something amazingly good about it. Because if I were a saint, I wouldn't need the Bible. I wouldn't need the words of God. Because I'm not a saint because I'm just a man and a sinner like all the rest of you. There's a special meaning of the Bible. It was written for us. It wasn't written for saintly people. It was written for all of us sinners. So I'm going to read you a few little passages. Tell me if any of these things offend you. If you're a member of the ACLU, tell me if you good leftist haters are offended by any of these statements. Who loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots wasteth his substance. There is a generation that curse their father and do not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from their filthiness. Oh, Madonna Mia. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their great teeth as knives. Ooh, e. The poetry itself is beautiful. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, says Proverbs 18. 
for which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a young woman. I don't even understand that. It's so beautiful. So is the way of an adulterous woman, Proverbs 20. She eateth and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wickedness. And last night I watch Real Sex on HBO as I'm flipping around, and I just can't believe what I'm watching. I just can't believe what I'm watching. Now, I'm not saying I've never seen or heard about adultery or orgies. That's not the point. But when I see the mainstreaming of orgies on a cable network, and I see the, the deranged sluts of our time who put on these orgy parties, in my time, the vice police would have broken the door down and arrested them, all of them. And I see couples going there and, you know, whatever. And they talk about it. It's not so much that they do it. What gets to me is that they gloss it over as though it's healthy, that it's somehow therapeutic and good for their soul to be this degenerate. That's the part that gets to me. So in other words, orgiastic behavior has gone on from the beginning of time. That's not the issue. The issue is that only in this time have they lavered it over with this lie, this big lie about how therapeutic it is, how holy it is. That's the part that gets to me. Yeah, I've seen the mainstreaming of pornography and vice. Are there any vice police left in America? Do they do anything? Is there anything considered vice anymore? I, I don't even know if they have vice cops anymore. Remember in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there were vice squads. You know, what was that? Gambling, drugs, pornography. Today, they're all run by the state. Today, gambling, drugs, and pornography are distributed by the state of California. Gambling in the form of Indian reservations, vice in the form of uh, legalized prostitution in San Francisco, and pornography on the Internet. It's unbelievable to me. You know, it really is. It's like Alice in Wonderland. I really feel like Rip Van Savage, that I've awakened in a, in a strange new world. I don't know if it's a better world. I think it's a worse world, frankly. I think repression is the only thing that can save society. I think that only by repressing these vile images these vile actions and these vile urges, only by repressing them can the society survive. But, uh, you know, many of people listening to this show don't even know there were vice police in America that didn't permit certain behaviors. They arrested people for various behaviors. What shocking primitivism. Can you imagine things like that? Houses of ill repute were illegal. Can you imagine houses of prostitution were broken into and unbelievable drug addicts were actually arrested in America at one time? Did you know that in San Francisco it was once illegal to sell drugs? Did you know that at one time it was illegal to sell pornography in San Francisco? Would you believe any of this? I mean, I'm trying to give you a history lesson here. Things change. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You know, liberalism is a mental disorder. It is a mental disorder. It is not a political orientation. And it comes from, I can't even finish the sentence because you'll think that I'm making it up. It comes from a perverted worldview. When you violate your own mind, when you violate your own soul, let's start with that. Let, let's keep it ungraphic. I'll keep it very, 
very spiritual. When you engage in a lifestyle that is a perversion of decency, and that can go in any direction, when you violate your own soul on a regular basis, what happens is, see, the reason the Bible was clear on this is that it's not the acts themselves or by themselves which twist the mind. It's the conglomeration of both the acts and the people you're associated with that twist your mind and your soul. And you start to see everything wrong. William Blake wrote it best when he said the eye that alters or the mind that alters alters all. So when you see this worldview where America is always wrong, the military is always wrong, the police are always brutal, the white man is the oppressor, it comes from a twisted mind. And they project their own self-hatred onto America, the fatherland, the motherland, the homeland, whatever you want to call it. They see the nation as an authority figure that must be defied. And in order to defy that authority of the homeland, if you want to call it that today, our nation is what I call it, whatever you want to call it, it becomes a corporal body to them, like something real. And so they have to defy father or mother, which is the nation. And they've done it all their lives with their own parents. It's also an adolescent viewpoint or an immature viewpoint that's uh, involved with this. They've never grown up. They're like children with, with beanies or with, with frisbees or whatever you want. I mean, and so they keep attacking America. They keep attacking the military. They keep attacking the police. They keep attacking white people. Even though they're all white, they attack white people. So it's because of the distortion. It's a projection of their own self-hatred is how I look at it. So, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a man with an opinion that's based upon a great deal of thought. And don't think for a moment that because I say these things to you, I believe there should be no dissent or disagreement. I, I welcome it. When a nation no longer has any voices of dissent, it is no longer a nation I want to live in. Savage. The survival of America is in play right now. It seems to me that we have a very small window as Americans to voice our opposition to amnesty for illegal aliens, to defend marriage, to support the church, to support freedom of religion, and to support families. Other than that, there's almost no hope left. We will dissolve into a nothing nation. Let me give you another example. Maybe you're just not even hearing what I'm saying. People ask me why I support ritual in religion. For example, I'm not a religious person, but I support religion and ritual. Why? Because religion needs ritual. The rituals of the Catholic Church, for example, are very important. The rituals of Judaism are very important. The rituals of other religions are like the skin around an orange. The rituals hold that orange together. The skin holds the orange together. If you remove the rituals of religion, you remove the equivalent of the skin of the orange and the juice of the orange flows out. The same analogy can be made with a nation. If you remove the skin of a nation, which is the borders, you are going to dissolve as a nation. As a trained biologist, you know how many times I looked under a microscope, even as a young, young student, an undergraduate student, and I would see an um, organism invade a cell, and then you would see the cell wall of that organism ruptured. Think back to those clickety black and white movies when you were a kid in high school, and you'd see the fixed cell wall of a plant cell, remember? The thick cell wall of a plant cell. Or you would see the thin cell wall, the membrane, as it were, of an animal cell. Remember those lessons in high school? And remember what happened when those cell walls were punctured? 
the protoplasm would flow out of the cell. That is exactly what's going to happen to America if we let our borders be busted wide open. We will no longer be a nation that is identified as America. We'll become something like a, well, they're calling it Mexifornia, they're calling it Mexamerica, they're calling it, I don't know, many different names. You have to ask yourself if you really always wanted to live in Mexico. And if you did, why didn't you go there? Did you want something that Mexico offers that we don't? Would that be a corruptible police force? Would that be a military that can break your doors down and shoot you in the middle of the night? Would that be a system of judges that could be bought like a cheap prostitute on a street corner? Is that what you want for America? Because if that is what you want, then you go ahead with that liberal hogwash that it is humane and compassionate. Now let's take the calls on the Savage Nation. Matthew, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Dr. Savage, I'm, I'm a 38-year-old Hispanic man. U.S. Navy veteran. My family and I are all bilingual. My wife was born in Mexico. But there's no way that that we should and we agree of giving amnesty or any type of legal status to any illegal aliens. It just, it just spits in the face of all people who have done it the right way and done their paperwork just like we did. And there's just no way that they should be jumped to the front of the line. It's well, I have said this before, Matthew. I believe that the Hispanics in America, many of whom go back 100 or more years in California, are absolutely more opposed to illegal aliens and their amnesty than the average American is because they understand what a meltdown this will cause, not only in the Latino or Hispanic communities, but throughout society in general. Thank you very much for calling this program, having the guts to stand up and be counted. It can't be easy to be a voice in the wilderness amongst your own people, I guarantee it. Chris, you're on the Savage Nation. Welcome. What's on your mind? You know, you're the quintessential analyst, so I have a question I've wanted to ask you for years. Um, do you see any redeeming value in the liberals? I can't yes. find one. But yes, you yeah, yeah. now this is going to surprise you. You ask, do I, Michael Savage, arch-conservative, See any uh, redeeming value in liberalism, correct? That, I can't find one. Yes. The answer is yes, I do. Uh, and you'd, you'd say, well, he's going to say something sarcastic now. No, I won't. Rational liberalism is a very important break upon the excesses that might arise in an all-too-powerful uh, uh, bureaucracy or government. The problem is liberalism today has detached itself from its original libertarian roots and has become somewhat totalitarian in that it wants government to impose restrictions on people. Restrictions, for example, of what you can say, what you can read, what you can speak. Uh, and they should control, liberals should control what you read, what you say, and what you speak. So that's the problem with phony liberalism. Uh, true liberalism would, would uh, curtail the tendency towards an overreaching government, but in a rational manner. They wouldn't, for example, override a conviction against a terrorist from Algeria found with uh, dynamite or explosives and timers in his trunk, would they? That's not rational liberalism. That's insanity, isn't it? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, an overriding IRS needs to be curtailed by, by some, somebody. An overriding any government agency needs to be controlled or else it will take over your whole life. We don't want that. We don't want an overriding governmental power. What is government? It's people. People will abuse power if they're granted unlimited power. So we have to be very careful to not give any governmental agency unlimited power. On the other hand, there has to be a rational, a rationale in liberalism, and I don't see any rationale. There's no balance left in it. Thanks for the call. 
Savage. 1-800-449-8255. W-O-R, New York City. Frank, you're on the Savage Nation. How are you, Michael? I uh, enjoy your show, and uh, I, I am a patriot of my country, and I love my country. However, I regrettably do not share your optimism on how we will conquer um, and we will survive in this country, because uh, what you were talking about in your opening show, uh, you're, you're uh, paralleling the um, the uh, the Spartans uh, with the... Uh, with well, with, the yeah, with the Athenians, right, the Spartans versus the Greeks. Um, well, no, even even the Spartans versus the uh, you know the, the Persians, and unfortunately, I don't think we will survive this because the Spartans, in seven years old, were trained to be, uh, I mean, tough. I mean, tough as nails, and they were brought to, uh, brought up and shown and trained pain uh, to ignore pain and to be as tough as uh, as they can be. Whereas I hear you, but you know, here, here's the thing: to take courage, and Frank. I said at the beginning that the rotten, stinking media, the academic establishment, and so many other elements of America seem to exemplify the weaknesses, tell people to get in touch with their weak side, and to blow it out of proportion. The media keeps showing us the junkies and the perverts, etc., and they never show us the boys who are really tough. There are plenty of them out there, Frank. When I see footage coming out of Iraq, these boys are the greatest generation. They look just like the boys who fought and died in World War II. We still have, we still have American boys who are capable and more than willing to fight. They are tough as nails. They're not found, perhaps, you know, in your neighborhood or in my neighborhoods, Frank, because these boys, unfortunately, have been wimpified by their mothers in the school system who have told them to get in touch with their uh, inner woman and to let it all hang out if they feel weak, to tell us why they feel weak and break down and cry. But those other boys are always going to be there. They always have been there, Frank. They're all over America. They're just not in the big cities to any extent. Yeah, I, you know, I, you have a point there, but I, I don't know. I just see as... Frank, a- you see, look, don't give up. Let me explain something. When I went aboard the U.S. aircraft carrier, USS Stennis, last year with my son, and I got to meet these kids, and I saw the 24-year-olds and the 25-year-olds flying F-A-18s, tell me how they differ from the men who flew in World War II or the men who flew in Vietnam. They're no different, Frank. We continuously produce heroes. The difference is they used to be glorified by the media. There were movies written about the the high noon types. Now we're writing movies about the drag queens and about the junkies and about the the turncoats and the AWOL people. But they're not the norm. They're the exception, these freaks and these cowards. The norm are the kids flying the jets, my friend. You just don't see them because the idiots who run the media have expunged them from the national consciousness. But, Frank, they're there. How do you think our ships are running at sea? Well, Michael, listen, I hope that you are right. I pray that you are right. And I hope Wait, wait, let me add something to it, Frank. What makes you think the Iranians are so tough? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think the Iranians are... What makes you think that every Afghani or every Iraqi wants to go throw himself under a truck with a bomb on his chest? That's another myth that the media is putting out in order to scare everyone to death. They're putting out, in essence, propaganda movies against us. But, Frank, believe me, they have their own wimpification going on in Iran. Many of them would rather not fight as well. So don't assume that every one of the opposition are tough and we're all weak. You know, we have our own Spartans. Just look at the U.S. Marine Corps. The problem is we have a military that's turned on its own men by prosecuting those boys who act like the Spartans and turning them into the wimps. So the problem is very, very complicated, Frank. But it doesn't begin and end with the, with the fear that, uh, that we, we're too wimpified. I don't believe it at all. Well, I, like I said, Mike, I, I hope you're right, and I hope that I'm wrong. I really do. Right. It's not that I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right, uh, right and I'm wrong. 
Frank, what we're drawing our conclusions from is the media. The media controls what we think. The only people they show you in the military are guys who've had their legs blown off or their eyes shot out or some fat cow that they showed the New York Times this weekend saying she was raped in the military. Everywhere you turn, there's an image of weakness and despair being promoted by the weak and the despairing who own and run the media. It's their psychosis being projected onto the public consciousness. But believe me, there's another America. There's a Spartan tough America, Frank. It's just been put out of the public consciousness. That's because the garbage run the imagery. Yeah. Well, I, you, you make a good, you make a great and strong point, Mike. Good, so. good, good. Go home and feel the reality of America. It's not seen in the pages of the Daily News, the New York Post, and the uh, and the New York Times, Frank. You live in New York, but believe me, there's a whole world outside of what Murdoch puts out and what Sulzberger puts out. There's an entire other universe, Frank. Thanks for the call. It's right in New York. Look at the NYPD. Most of them are heroic. They've just been beaten to death in recent times by, again, the lawyers and the liberal media. We understand that. Now let's go on. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. To the average political person, it's already some of the minds are already on where you're going, what you're doing. You know, it's a normal thing. Your mind doesn't want to think about Iraq. You don't want to think about illegal aliens. You don't want to think about Bush. You don't want to think about Hillary. You're sick of it all. I don't blame you. It's June. June, think of what you would be doing if you were a kid. What would you be thinking if you were a kid? You'd be thinking about summer vacation. Well, you're still a kid inside. The inner kid wants a vacation. I know my inner kid wants one. And my inner kid's going to get one next week. I'm off next week. Pow, Hana, goodbye. I don't know where I'm going yet. I've made no plans. I'm the only person on earth who has a, I'm taking a vacation. I don't know where I'm going. I don't. I have not many. I'm not going to Paris. Why should I go to Paris? Because I'm on vacation. To me, sticking around the house for a few days and taking care of stuff that's been hanging, patching a wall and seeing, calling the painter and whatever. I mean, these are the things that actually ground me and make me feel good. Then I'll go somewhere. I'll go to L.A. I'll go on a boat for a few days somewhere. After the... Uh, after the show last night, I ran to the uh, to the boat, and I was so exhausted. I said, do I really want to spend the time on tying it and taking the covers off and starting the engines? And the, and the dog is with me, Teddy. And he's a little leery. He doesn't like the boat as much as he did when he was a baby. He gets a little freaked out on it. But it was hot, and the bay was calm. And I said, how many nights do you think you have left in your life like this? I have to, you know I have to motivate myself? I become my own father. In other words, when you were young, when you were a kid and you were lazy, either your mother or your father motivated you one way or the other, with reason sometimes, or cajoling, or threats, whatever worked. But now as an adult, even, you have to motivate yourself. So I said, yeah, yeah. I said to myself, okay, fine. Now you say, are you crazy talking to yourself? I don't know. Do others do it? I'm afraid to find out. Others don't do that. If they don't, then I'm crazy. My mother used to say to me, God rest her soul, that it's, it's okay if you talk to yourself. She said, it doesn't mean you're crazy. It's when you start answering yourself that you're crazy. I, I didn't even know how funny that was at the time. I don't answer myself out loud. You ever see those the nuts who walk around yelling at, them, them, at themselves? Whew. So I go in on the boat. I come back. The dog, the this, the that. And I look at this dog's eyes. I'm sorry. Now I'm going get, to get, get maudlin. I look at his eyes. I see a being. I don't see a dog anymore. I'm, I'm losing it. You know, I don't say dog, me, man, you, dog, you know, dog. 
I don't know what to make of this anymore. I, I see a being. I see a being. That's all I see next to me, another kind of being. I see it in a bird, a bee, a dog. Now, I, maybe I've always felt this, because I know going back to childhood, I always saw the uh, fragility of life, the, the, the preciousness of human life. And my whole life has been given over to, you know, therefore choose life. And now we're facing the struggle of our, of our time, which is death worshippers who say, therefore choose death. This is the most galactic battle in the history of the world all over again, which is the death worshippers who are willing to kill their own children in the name of a mythical concept called their God, facing us, we, who love life. Amazing. I don't even want to eat anything with eyes anymore. So last night I had rigatoni uh, with meat sauce. You say, well, if you're not going to eat anything with eyes, how could you have meat sauce? Well, the chopped meat didn't have eyes. As I was pondering that, I said, nothing with eyes. I mean, rigatoni with meat sauce. The, the, uh, the meat sauce, the, uh, the little pieces of meat had no eyes in it. So you can't say I'm a hypocrite. I am not a vegetarian. I remember the, there's a famous story about an uh, English philosopher, I forget who. He was in his club in the 1800s. And he said he was pondering becoming a vegetarian because it was popular at that time in certain society circles for moral reasons or ethical reasons to become a vegetarian. And he said, whereupon the waiter put down a large fish on the table for him and his table mates to eat. And as he was pondering becoming a vegetarian, the waiter sliced open the fish to serve it. And inside the belly of the fish was a smaller fish. And he said, if the fish can eat a fish, he said, then I can eat the big fish. And he said he gave up the foolishness of becoming a vegetarian. That's so. I don't know. I mean, I'm not giving you a definitive, you know, answer on. I'm just saying how the mind works. Get. I think as you get older, if you're sane, you you again go back to having the um, sentiments that you had as a child. <laughs> I'm not like Uncle Junior at that level, but the the sensitivities start to reemerge in your being that were there inherently as a child. You know that I swear to you, like the animal thing. I always saw, like, the glint. When I was a, a young undergraduate biology student, I'm sorry to bore you, I'm just rambling. I know you'd rather hear about Democrats bad, Republicans good. Uh, cigars are wonderful for your lungs. Smoking is good. Eating grease is good for you. That's what you want to hear. Uh, oil is very good to... What, is, what was I talking about? I'm, I'm drifting off here. I was talking about... Babel, where was I? I forgot what I was talking about. I don't know. No one's even. Even the producer fell asleep in the chair. It's June. I think he wants a vacation. Savage. Sacramento. Tony, you're up on the Savage Nation. On which topic? Hi, Doctor Savage. In your opening monologue, you made a really awesome observation, and uh, it was that when we get a little older, we tend to uh, uh, some of those realizations we had as a kid tend to uh, remanifest themselves. And uh, I have been noticing that it took me five years after retiring from the Navy to realize that, but uh, you hit it, uh, you know, dead on. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, wait. Tell me what, what's happened as you, as you become more mature. What has happened in your viewpoint? Well, uh, as a kid, I remember uh, as a little kid, we used to, for example, travel from Half Moon Bay to Tacoma, Washington, along the uh, California and Oregon and Washington coast to visit my grandfolks. And I remember as a kid, everything just seemed so huge and wonderful and spectacular. My perspective was one of just so much grandeur. And as I got a little older, it just seemed that things started to become a little bit more mundane. And uh, now that... Uh, I spent 20 years in the Navy seeing things, you know, abroad and whatnot, and I come back to the States, and now that I've settled down, it seems that I'm starting to rediscover some of these these wonderful things again 
whether it be... I know what you're saying. In other words, the awe that you saw as a child is 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 recurring again in your consciousness. Absolutely. I mean, anything as little as even a flower or just looking at my children, it's just beginning to rekindle. Well, that's because you realize that uh, life is very precious and finite, and each living thing is precious. That's why you went in the Navy was to defend the uh, the preciousness of America. I can understand that. But I have the same exact feelings going on. I'm telling you, you know, I mean, I've always let flies out of a screen. I, I didn't want to, which doesn't mean that I wouldn't kill somebody, try to hurt me. If I could get a shot at them first, I would take it. I'll tell you right now. You know, if a man comes to put a bomb in your mother's house, put one in his house first, his mother's house first. I learned that a long time ago. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not going soft in any way. But on the other hand, my view of, of nature in particular is, is being restored to one I had as a child. For example, when I flew down to L.A., when I flew over the, uh, the, the, the um, land of California, it's unbelievable. When you actually stare out the window, even on a mundane flight from SFO or Oakland to uh, Los Angeles, and you look at the coast and this amazing state that we live in, how vast and gorgeous it is, and you see the gullies and the ravines and the rivers and the little ranches and the farms, and you, you can literally see the history of the whole state when you fly over it, and the beaches and the ocean. And the ten different zones, we have everything from the Arctic to the tropical here. You're, you're just, you, you knock back with awe. And of course there was, I gotta tell you this, Tony, there was loads of snow all over the, the high Sierra. Uh, unfortunately for Al Gore, just as there's been loads of snow in every other May that I've ever lived here, the mountains were filled with snow. They haven't yet melted, uh, despite the fact that his hysteria has seemed to have taken root so deeply in the in more impressionable minds, those that were, you know, addled by Pot or Prozac. But, uh, yeah, the preciousness of life, whether it be a flower or a, a bird or a bee, I understand that. Thank you, Tony. I don't want to get too more of them, but you do change. Where it'll go, I don't know. Savage. Baron Guy de Rothschild has died at the age of 98. He was the heir to the House of Rothschild banking family. Uh, died at 98. In addition to his financial acumen, you wine, you vinophiles, you xenophobes, no, you're onophobes. <laughs> can an onophobe be a xenophobe, or can only xenophobes, can only onophobes be a good xenophobe, or can onophobes, onophobes never be a xenophobe, or can a, z a xenophobe ever be an onophobe? He also uh, had a family wine, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, and he also raised thoroughbred racehorses. So there's a rich man who did something with his life as opposed to living on Pacific Heights and becoming a drug addict. He built on the family fortune. He didn't just become a trust fund case. He did something with it, Rothschild. Oh, there's his picture. Baron Guy de Rothschild, leader of French arm of Bank Dynasty, dies at 98. I can't imagine what it must have been like, like to have been born into that, you know, to be born rich. I haven't any idea if it would be good or bad to be born rich. I certainly wasn't. Maybe my grandson will know it, and who knows if that's a blessing or a curse. I don't know. How do I know? Uh, blah, blah, blah. He married Alex. Alex he married? In 1937? Oh, I don't want to read this now. Please. I'm going to read it left the pot. Oh, that's a woman's name in Europe. He married Alex Shade de Coromia. And she was his third cousin once removed. Why? What's wrong with that? No, but look what he did when you read it. When you read the whole story, how he survived and how he thrived. Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, the horses. 
Besides banking, the family was known for its horses and vineyards. This is very interesting. Um, I'll read it myself tonight. Don't let me know. Here's another obituary. Rudolf Arnheim, 102 years old, psychologist and scholar of art and ideas. He lived to 102? How could a psychologist live to that age? That's amazing. Rudolf Arnheim, a distinguished psychologist, philosopher, and critic, was art, blah, blah, died on Saturday at his home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He was 102. Wow. You would think psychologists would die young because they're so, they have so much inner turmoil. Wouldn't you like stereotype thinking that a psychologist would die like 57? And look what he lived through. I mean, here's a guy who lived through, he was Jewish. Nazis come to power. He flees to Rome in 1933 from Germany, right? He's at the University of Berlin. So, you know, when you hear this crap that stress kills, it's such nonsense. Stress is life, my friend. The greatest stress is trying to avoid stress, in my opinion. So he flees Germany, goes to Rome. Now he's 102 when he dies. You hear this? In the late 30s, after Mussolini lies himself with Hitler, Arnheim flees to England, where he becomes a translator for the BBC. 1940, he arrives in New York. Teaches at the New School for Social Research. Worked at Columbia. I mean, this is a heavy-duty left-winger. I understand that. He's entitled to it. In those days, being a left-winger was different than today. Professor Arnheim joins Sarah Lawrence in 43. You hear this? In the mid-70s, after retiring from Harvard, he's associated with the University of Michigan. Well, this guy outlived all his wives. His second wife, Mary Frame, who married in 1953, dies in 1999. What a story, so... He lives to 102. What is, I wonder what his secret is. What is the secret of this guy? He flees the Nazis, goes through all the... I wonder what he ate. I wish I could find out what has nothing to do with his food. Then you find out that he ate corned beef sandwiches and he smoked uh, Ch- Chesterfield, but not heavily, only a carton a day. I used to do that when I was always like into like longevity. I'd ask you know, someone who had like uh, a relative who was uh, like 97, what their secret was. You'd hope you'd hear that they, they ate pickled herring and tomatoes and they only drank spring water and they never smoked and uh, they did yoga usually the the reverse was true the very old i found that I, in other words you can get longevity up to a certain point but the very old is nothing makes no sense it's almost purely genetic in the very old that doesn't mean you shouldn't practice healthful practices you'd be dead if you didn't because the rest of us don't have their uh, genetic inheritance see we don't have the genetic inheritance of the guys who live to 100 most of us so we have to watch our step, but we'll die younger than we should. And wouldn't you want to live longer and see the Islamo-fascist bomb a city or something? Just think what you're missing. Just think how wonderful it'll be great to live another 30 years if you're a guy 50. How wonderful the world, what you're going to see. Just look ahead. Look what you got to look forward to with George Bush. And after he's gone from office, wow, you got Hillary Clinton. Would you want to miss that? You don't want to miss that. Would you want to miss the Islamization of England? No, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss the great things coming in the world uh, that we live in. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free... Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.